head to Genesis chapter 3 right now. We're going to get back there. In, uh, in this book, we read things that are difficult to believe at times. We read things that contradict the world as we know it. We, you know, things we don't understand, things we can't explain. Already we have seen God create the entire universe out of nothing, nothing, right? Nothing at all. Before long, we are going to see a giant boat preserve every animal while the whole earth floods. Much later, God will be born in flesh to a virgin mother. He will walk on water. He will uh, raise back to life from the grave, from death. And listen, I'm like you, most of you, I think, right? Uh, I live in 2023. I have a very reasonable mind. I sometimes read these things, and I think that sounds crazy. That sounds unbelievable. But what if the unbelievable is true? What if you can believe it, right? Listen, you, you can, and, and, and that's what you, you need to remember when we come to things like this. You can believe it and still have a reasonable mind. That's, that's God's given faith here, right? And that doesn't mean there aren't going to be moments where you have doubts and think, what is going on here, right? But, but deep down, you, you want to believe, and deep down, you can believe because it's true, this is real history, and it's weird. Now today we are going to see something that is hard to believe, and I don't mean the talking serpent, although that's really weird, right? But today we, we see a man and a woman who are sinless. That's weird. We, we see a man and a woman who dwell in peace with God in a paradise garden, and we see them throw it all away for a mysterious piece of fruit. That's nuts. It's a fascinating fall that has far-reaching consequences. It, it, it actually explains why, why you and I, why everyone is the way we are, right? Why the world out there is the way that the world out there really is. You, you see, Adam here uh, is, is theologically what's referred to as the federal head of the whole human race. He represents us, right? He, he is, uh, represents all of humanity. And so when Adam sins, you and I and everyone afterwards is guilty of sin too. And I I, I've heard it best explained, and I know this is going to lose some of you because you're like, fantasy football, I don't get it, um, <clears throat> right? But that's probably the best explanation I've heard. If, if Patrick Mahomes is your fan, on your fantasy football and he throws four interceptions, right, that's four interceptions counted to you, even though, right, even though you've never set foot on the field, even though you don't even watch the game, you don't even know what it is, right, that's, that's counted to you, <clears throat> which is... You know, the, the Apostle Paul's point in Romans 5.12 when he writes this, he says, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then just a few verses later, he adds this. He says, One trespass led to condemnation for all men. And that's mankind here. But because of Adam, you and I, we are, are born with an inherited sinful nature. We have an inherited guilt and I know, right, I've been there in my life, you're like, that's not fair, because I didn't do that, right? And, but let me tell you this, even if, it doesn't, even if it sounds unfair, right, first of all, you would have failed just like Adam and Eve fail here. Secondly, the other federal head is Jesus, our Lord. And so when your faith is in Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, the obedience of Christ, that is counted to you as well. If you can handle any more fantasy football terms here, right? Jesus throws all touchdowns. Trust me, you want Jesus as your federal head. You want his obedience to be counted for you, right? Counted as your obedience. 
And I'm explaining this right at the start. You're like, you haven't even read the text yet. Yeah, I'm explaining it right here at the start because it's foundational of the gospel. You, you need to understand this. It's something that arises out of the passage we're about to read. But, but I'm also telling you right now because after we read this, I really want you to approach this passage, to think through it as a case study, not, not just for the first sin so long ago and the way it affected Adam, right? But, but, but as a case study that explains how and why uh, we sin today, right? And I don't mean, or you know, you know I, I don't mean why, why they sin, right? Like, the other people, but why, why do you and I, what's happening when, when I sin? What's happening when you sin? What goes through our mind? What are we thinking that we probably don't even think about thinking? You know, why do we sin? Because I, I expect a lot like Eve, you, didn't, you don't wake up in the day and, and begin to think, you know what? I was looking at my life goals here, and I think it's about time I, I, I check off disobeying my good and generous creator. This is the day we're going to do it. Adam, you in? Right? That's, that's not the way this goes, and that's not the way you and I find ourselves in sin. And so we're going to see why sin entices us, uh, us, why it never delivers on what it promises. Um, we're going to see that. So let's, let's go ahead and read. We're in Genesis 1. Nope. We're in Genesis 3. And we're going to read the first seven verses here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, you shall not eat any tree, from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us ears now to hear and give us eyes to see. Give us faith to believe that you are God. You are not just God, but you are a God that we can always trust no matter the situation. And, and give me strength and wisdom to preach your word here in Genesis 3 to your people. That I would be faithful to it. That the Holy Spirit would bring fruit from both the preaching and the hearing of your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So here's the, the man and the woman. They are uh, unashamedly naked in the garden. They are living in paradise. They dwell with God, and <clears throat> all of that is about to change. They probably don't know what's about to happen this day. Uh, a serpent, a snake, right, uh, appears. They, uh, we're told that he is more crafty, more cunning than the other beasts of the field. We, we can't be sure if this is a statement about snakes as all snakes in general or just this particular serpent. And the reason we can't be sure is that this is not an ordinary snake. First of all, it speaks to Eve, and not because she speaks parcel tongue, but it speaks her language to her, right? She, this doesn't mean that all animals could speak before the fall. Maybe. I know most of us, at least in our childhood, wishes that were true. Uh, but we don't know that. This doesn't mean that. Uh, later in Revelation 20, the serpent is identified as the devil, as Satan. 
which raises a lot of questions for us here, right? For instance, where did Satan come from? Well, later in the scripture, we learn that Satan was a, an angel who turned against God. We get that from two passages. The first one is Isaiah 14, where Isaiah is, he's prophesying about Babylon, but as is often the case, right, a lot of prophecy is about one thing, but also this much bigger thing uh, that, that maybe the initial readers didn't get, but when you look on it in hindsight, you're like, yeah, that's clearly what that's about. Uh, in the case in Isaiah here, here's what he says, uh, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And the other one is from Ezekiel 28, 12, where it says, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, in the garden of God. And it goes on from there quite a bit longer. Uh, but all you really need to know here is that Satan is a created being. He's not equal in power with God. He has become evil, he hates God, and now he appears in the garden embodied uh, in this serpent. And I know that still leaves a lot of questions, right? Well, why, how did that happen? And I can't answer that here. Um, because there's not enough info, right? The, you know, it, but it does tell us this. It does mean that, that sin existed before these events in the garden. Kind of like COVID existed, right? In a bat or a laboratory. I don't really know. Uh, Right? I don't know if anyone really knows for sure, but somewhere it existed be before it existed in humans. And I know that raises, again, that question, where did evil come from? Why did God allow this? Right? There's a lot of the questions like that. There's still a great deal that we have to learn that, that when we dwell with God in eternity, I expect we are going to get answers to these things. In the meantime, clearly you don't need to know it or God would have revealed this to us in Scripture quite clearly. I said clearly too many times. So, uh, the serpent speaks to Eve and he hears this question. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? It's just a question, or is it? The, the serpent couldn't exactly say, hey Eve, um, God's the worst, right? Let's just disobey him. You, can, you start. Here's how you do it, right? He couldn't say that, right? Because he's crafty. He's more crafty than the others, right? And Eve would have seen right through that. That wouldn't be very crafty at all. Uh, and, and so Satan, right, asks this subtle question that opens this door, this, this door to distrusting God, uh, distrusting, you know, this opens this door to discontentment and all the gifts of God. And, and today we still hear that whisper in a thousand subtle ways, right? Did, did God actually say you can't have sex? Did God actually say you, you shouldn't be rich? Did God actually say you must befriend your worst enemies? R remember, Starting in chapter 2, if you remember back, we talk, I think I talked about it at some point, right? Uh, Moses, as he's writing, you got this combination of, of God's creative name or creator name and God's uh, covenant name, right? Yahweh, Elohim, or the way you see it in the English there, the, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. Uh, but you might notice here, right at the beginning, right, the serpent omits the Lord God, that's, uh, that's Yahweh, um, and, and follows his lead here, right? Uh, Eve follows his lead. She doesn't use it either. She just refers to God throughout. Why did they... Why do they do that, right? He, he wants Eve to consider, sure, he's God, but maybe he's not a loving God. Maybe he doesn't actually care about you the way you, you think about it. Maybe he just wants to control you. All of those, those, those tender aspects of God that come through in that name are, are omitted here. And, and Satan wants to shift Eve's attention from, from all of God's generosity, okay? All of his, his bountiful, all that he has wonderfully provided for her. He wants to take her and say, don't don't look at that, right? Come over here. I want you to focus on, on what God's withheld from you, what he won't give you. You ever do that? You, you, you open up 
social media of some sort, right? It's just one example, right? But, oh, they're on vacation in the Bahamas. Wish we had the money, wish we had the time to do something like that. Or, oh, Kara's pregnant again? Why won't God give me just one? Look, they, they're out with 20 friends. Some of those I thought were my friends. Why didn't we get invited out for that? You, you know, you, you hear that subtle whisper, maybe God's not good. At the very least, maybe God's not good to me. And so Eve, at this point, as he asked this question, she could have shot the serpent down immediately. Right? Could have shot down this, this insinuation of the serpents that God is this tight-fisted miser. And instead, well, she, she kind of quotes God, not real accurately, um, right? With, with three small errors, Eve embraces one giant false assumption about who God really is. And in, in one breath, Eve diminishes God's word. She adds to God's word, and finally she softens God's word. Those three things. She diminishes, she adds, and she softens God's word. Or, or you might say she downplays God's generosity, she exaggerates the prohibition, and she minimizes the consequences of disobedience. Let's consider those in, in that order. First of all, how she diminished God's word. You remember what God actually says in 2.14, Genesis 2.16, rather. If you want, you can turn back. You don't have to. And I'm going to read it to you, but I'm just going to emphasize right, the, the bits that are left out there. And God says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. All right, I'm going to overemphasize then. Uh, you, you hear the lavish generosity of God in these words? Surely, right? This is enthusiastic invitation to enjoy. And, and every tree, it's an abundant generosity of God. All these trees. And, and now let's listen to what Eve actually says to the serpent or how she, she does this. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. I mean, it's all, it's all true, but it lacks those, those aspects, right? She, she says more, right? Do, do, do you hear the unenthusiastic nuance in these words, though? It's, it's, it's the difference between, you know, you make yourself at home. You can have anything in our kitchen. It's all yours. Just make yourself at home. And sure, you can eat food from the kitchen. Uh, you know, they, they both get to the same point in some regard, but, but one lacks that, that sense of, of, of true generosity. And I know this is nuanced, but, but already something rotten is happening in Eve's heart when she doesn't acknowledge God's bountiful provision. And, and that's where it starts in our hearts as well. Now, secondly, in verse 2, we, we see a few things. Notice Eve doesn't use God's covenant name again, right? She goes along with that, that idea. Um, and, and, and she refers to the tree not by its name, but simply as that tree in the midst, the one in the middle of the garden over there. You know, but most significantly, Eve actually adds to God's word. She says, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Great, right? Neither shall you touch it. Now, where did that come from? That's not what God said at all, right? He never said you can't touch it. He, he said back in Genesis 2.17, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. He didn't ever say you can't touch it. You see, by adding a prohibition to God's word, Eve here becomes the first legalist in history. Well done, Eve. Right? Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, The Whole Christ, he defines legalism as any teaching that diminishes or distorts the generous love of God and the fullness and the full freeness of his grace. See, thousands of years and one glorious cross later, we are still adding to God's word. We're still legalists at hearts, if we're honest, right? So you, Christian, you can't drink any alcohol, right? Or the opposite that comes more more freely in the Reformed faith, right? That you must drink alcohol or you are a legalist of some sort. 
And, and we could list out a bunch of these. And, and small group Wednesday, I think I've got a question down for that. You can explore the legalism and how we, we fall into that today a bit further. Now, the point here is that, you know, Eve, Eve has added to God's word and she's making it more restrictive. She is exaggerating God's prohibition and, and she has presented it in this way that is just absurd. Look how stingy God is. It's like mom, you know, saying you, you can't have ice cream before dinner. Only for a child to turn around and tell all their friends. My mom says we can never, ever have ice cream. Ever. Similar, but not the same. Because when we don't like a prohibition, like Eve here, we, we, we magnify its strictness because we want it to sound absurd. We want it to sound unreasonable. We, we, we want to say, how can God actually be good if, if he won't give me this one person or thing or experience that I believe is essential to my happiness? And so Eve has diminished God's generosity. She has exaggerated God's restriction. And with her, her last three words in verse 3, she now softens God's word. You, you should not eat of this fruit, not even touch the tree. She says, right, lest you die. But what God really said there at the end is, you shall surely die. It, it's more emphatic. That's the difference here. And again, some of these seem like little nuances to us, but it is a big deal. She, you know, the way that God actually says it is count on it. It will indeed happen. And hers is like, well, I guess that's what's going to happen. That's what he says, right? Well, we'll come back to this, but I, I want you to notice in Eve's mistrust of God here, she, she has actually reimagined God. She has reimagined him in, in this, her own way, in the sense that he is ungenerous. She has reimagined him as overly restrictive, right? And, and the question is if, if what God says is really true. And all the blame here, I think we want to throw on Eve sometimes. I guess men do. Women are like, no, it's not. Right? And, and given that, you know, remember, the command is actually given to Adam before she's even created. And he has, it seems, done a really poor job of communicating that. Uh, God's word accurately to her. We see that. So absolutely Adam's guilty. And we'll see more of that in a bit, too. Now, in verse 4, the, the, the serpent, Satan, he responds. And he says, if you eat the fruit, you will not surely die. Right? First. Two, your eyes will be open. And three, you will be like God. In short, Satan says, God is just trying to oppress you. God is trying to hold you back. He wants to keep you from being like him. It's all communicating. God is keeping the good stuff from you. The devil wants her to doubt God's word. He wants you to doubt that there is judgment, that there is for disobedience to God's word. He wants you to doubt that there is any consequences to sin. In our, our culture, it'd be hard not to look and say, yeah, he's been incredibly successful. Even among those who identify themselves as Christian, I get it, identify themselves as Christian, but only 70% believe that hell is a real place. It's Jesus that talks about hell, right? Among the general population, right, far more believe that there is no punishment for sin. They think that it's just some outdated Puritan idea used to control people, used to oppress certain groups of people. And, and sadly, the, the cross of Christ will not be glorious good news until we are aware that, that there is a cost of sin, eternal punishment. And, and for Eve, right, she's, she's come to believe, I, I can disobey God here. I can eat the fruit and only good's going to come from it. There's not going to be any consequences. This idea of sin having no consequences, we, we call it license. And, and it's not just consequences of eternal level, right? All those are most significant. You know, the, the devil prefers you not know that, that pornography and lust will enslave you and diminish sex in its proper setting. He, he won't tell you that 
greed will suck joy out of, out of life. He won't tell you that bitterness and anger will ruin your relationships. He won't tell you how a drunken night of promiscuous sex is followed by a morning of of regrets and questions. Now in verse 5, we we see the serpent's final plea. He speaks one more time. He He says this, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And who doesn't want to be like God? Remember, this is about autonomy here. Not, not just to know what good and evil is as some sort of general knowledge, but to determine for yourself what is good and what is evil. To take that rightful place of God to do so. The, the desire for moral autonomy still entices us today. It does. Now as verse 6 begins, the serpent has faded out of view. Maybe he's there, maybe he's not. He's not in our view in any way. Uh, Eve is, is all alone, presumably. We, we, we get to hear her thoughts here as she considers the devil's, the devil's invitation to give up on God's way of life and to give in to this autonomous, selfish way of life. It's, it's, it's actually kind of amazing that the serpent has brought her to this point here without ever saying anything like, Eve, eat the fruit, come on, there's nothing like that. Just these series of statements. He, he simply called the character of God and, and the truthfulness of God's word into question. <clears throat> He's redirected her, right? Instead of gratitude, Eve is discontent with the fruit of all the other trees that God has generously given her. She is now fixated, fixated, only on this one forbidden fruit that is withheld from her. And isn't that the way sin works in your life too? As Eve considers disobeying God here. She, she looks at the, the one forbidden tree, the fruit there, and it appeals to her in three ways that we see here. First, she saw that the tree was good for food. In other words, it doesn't look dangerous. It, it looks like fruit. Just normal fruit. It's not blinking red lights. There aren't swords sticking out. You know, it just looks like normal fruit. And when something is good or looks good and it's normal, it's hard to understand why God could possibly forbid it. I I think it was David Wells who who first said, the devil wants to make sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Wants to make sin look normal and righteousness look strange. He, He wants to make sin look like the good thing, even the righteous thing. Right? These two men love each other. Why would love be wrong? It's just normal. Or, or, or gossip is just bringing the truth to light, right? With nothing wrong with that. It's the right thing to do. You ever find yourself watching a, a movie, a, a TV show, and without realizing it, somehow you re- like, you're at this point in the movie and you're like, I am rooting for this affair to happen. I am rooting for them to divorce, right? I am rooting for this couple to finally sleep together. Why, why is that what I'm rooting for here? And you don't even realize that it. it just seems normal. And so the fruit here, right, that the sin, it looks good, it seems normal to her. The, the second thing Eve observes is that the tree was a delight to the eyes. Not just safe, but, but truly enticing, right? I, I, I think of this in weird terms, right? I, I think of it like this, this sizzling plate of steak fajitas that comes out of Papacitos in Texas. It's so good, right? I, I, it's a delight to the eyes. I see it. I crave it. I want it. Sin always always looks enticing. In other words, this fruit looked delicious. Not only did it, lo- did it look delicious, this fruit probably was delicious. But most sin is incredibly pleasurable in the moment. 
right? No, no one falls into gluttony because they've been offered an all-you-can-eat celery plate ever, right? Sexual sin, if sexual sin wasn't so pleasurable, it, it wouldn't be so prominent. It's always delightful looking. The, the fruit here was a delight to her eyes. And then finally Eve saw the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She believed if she took of this, and she partook of this, that it would transform her. That it would make her morally autonomous. That it would make her like God. And so everything about this fruit seems good and desirable. Forbidding this fruit does not make sense to Eve. You probably know that feeling. You don't mind rules, or if you're anything like me, right? The rules are fine as long as they make sense to me. And Eve doesn't trust God. She's disregarded his word. She doesn't believe sin that will have consequences. It all looks safe. It looks normal. It looks delicious. She thinks it's going to make her wiser, going to make her greater. And, and so, brothers and sisters, this is what's going on in your heart before you sin as well, even if you haven't thought through it in this much detail. detail. Now, now look at verse 6 here. Again, right? You, you and I know eating this fruit, it's, it's a bad idea, right? But, but she doesn't, right? Or she, maybe she does and she doesn't care, right? It's, because it's absolutely no shock to us. Even in the way Moses writes this, it doesn't seem like he's shocked at all either. When, when we, he just says, she took of its fruit and ate. Not, not only that, but she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now listen, if you've been picturing uh, her alone with the serpent here, you're, you're wrong. Adam was there all along. And I know you're like, oh, how do you know? Are you that old for real? Uh, no, I wasn't there. But every time that the serpent here uses this word you, it is plural. Plural, okay? Right? If you want to put it in the proper Texas, right, it's y'all. That's what he's saying. But since we're talking about the devil, it's probably not y'all. It's probably you guys. That's what I think. But it's plural, one way or the other. So, so Adam here, right, passively watched everything, never interceding. That, that's what Adam's doing. Remember in Genesis 2.15, right, he was told to keep the garden, meaning to guard the garden. Well, he didn't do it. He didn't do that at all. Adam doesn't lead, he doesn't protect, he doesn't guard, he doesn't intervene. He doesn't do a real good job here. Now, now you might wonder then, why, why does Satan speak to Eve and not to Adam right off the bat? Now, despite some folks' assumptions, wrong assumption, it's not because she's more prone to sin. It's not because she's more easily deceived. What, what happens here is that the serpent subverts God's authority structure. By God's design, we see God, husband, wife, and then the creatures, right? But here it's all upside down. It's completely reversed. As, as Kenneth Matthew says, uh, the woman listens to the serpent, the man listens to the woman, and no one listens to God. And, and, and like I said, Adam was very present there. And we're, we're told later in 1 Timothy 2.14 that Adam was not deceived. He wasn't like eating this fruit and be like, this is so good. Where did you get this, Eve? And, and only then finds out. That's not the way this goes down. He, he watched her take the fruit. He would have watched her eat the fruit. He, he would have seen, oh, nothing happened to her. She's still standing there. Everything seems fine. You know, there's no consequences. And, and, and that's when he actually does it. He willingly sends. He eats, eats the fruit. Now, you ever, you ever see someone disobey and not get in any punishment? You're like, oh, if everyone's, we're all doing this now. Let's, let's do this, right? Everyone's cheating on this exam. I'm going to fall behind if I'm not cheating too. You, you know, I, I, I learned to drive this way in, in Houston. There's six lanes. Everyone's going 90 miles an hour. I don't know why. 
Uh, only reason, really, is because everyone else is going 90 miles an hour in, in, in traffic, but, and, and no one's getting a ticket, and so we'd all just do it. Now, I admit, I, I still struggle with that today. When I'm speeding and everyone's speeding, we're like, we're all just speeding now, and no one's getting a ticket. Let's keep going. Um, and I admit, that's a struggle for me, and I see things like this, and I realize I need to, I need to pursue obedience in this area. I mean, that's, that's not an excuse for us to just disregard. Now, now in verse 7, we begin to see the results here, right? Moses writes, And then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig, tr- fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Now, on the surface, you might get to this point, and you think, Well, that serpent was really telling the truth after all, right? It seems like everything he said came true. Because here they are, they've just eaten, they haven't dropped dead, right? Their eyes are open, and, and, and they're suddenly aware of their nakedness. And surely that has something to do with, right, the knowledge of good and evil. Are, are, are they autonomous? Are, are they like God now? Well, it's true they don't drop immediately, right? Adam is going to live to be 930 years old. Another one of those weird things you like this. Anyway, you can make reasons for why. I can explain. But uh, then he dies. He does ultimately die. At some point, Eve dies as well. But far more significant than that even, they're going to be cut off from the source of life. And I don't just mean the tree of life in the, in the garden, right? But, but from dwelling in peace, at peace with God in the garden. Cut off from God in that sense. Everything they experience outside of Eden is not life as God intended for them. They, they will experience death in every sense of that word. And so this attempt at, at moral autonomy, has it, has it made them like God? Not in the way they hoped to. Right, and the great irony here is that back in Genesis 1.26, you remember we're told that they are made in the image of God. They're already like God. They, they already had the very thing she's seeking after. And, and you might say, right, they, they got what they wanted. But it's a little bit like, like King Midas and the old myth, right? You remember wishing that everything I touched turned to gold and he gets his wish and he's like, I don't think I want that. They're a little like that. I, I'm not sure we want what we asked for. You know, real quick, they realized they already had what they needed, and now they have lost that. They are no longer able to enjoy the perfect innocence they have, nor the intimate communion that they have with God. And it's true, their eyes were open, yes, but open to what? They're open to see evil. What's the first thing they see? They see themselves suddenly. They see their own nakedness. In, in, in just eight verses, they went from naked and not ashamed to naked and very ashamed. They're filled with fear. They're filled with guilt. We're going to see they're afraid to meet with God. And so they, they desperately, even at this point, they, they're looking for something to cover themselves up with. Yay for fig leaves. They're big, right? Innocent was vacated in their hearts and in its place is just this fear and this shame. And from this day forward, they're going to have to work hard to love God. They're going to have to work hard to love each other. What a strange experience for them. I mean, can you imagine this, this just the way that this goes down? Can you imagine if you stood up right now and you told a bold-faced lie and bam, right? You look down and you're buck naked in here panicking. That's kind of what this experience was like for them. Something has changed and something has just changed really quick. And suddenly they're, they're just scrounging for some way to cover themselves up. You see, Satan never told them that their sin would, would literally cost them paradise, that it would literally cost them innocence. But it did. You, you and I, we, we face temptation every day. It, it whispers, you know, this is the good stuff. This is what God is keeping from me. 
That this is the way to satisfaction, to no more stress, to, to being your authentic self. This is the path to the happiness that you deserve. We fight that temptation with, with truth, with God's word. You, you, you notice, right, that, that Satan only speaks twice in here, and in and, and both times he, he leads Eve to question the character of God. Who is God really? He leads him to question God's word. Is this really what it says, what it means, right? And to question God's love and care for her. All, he both times, right? Now, now the book of Psalms begins by pointing us uh, to the source of truth, right? It says, blessed is the man... He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Here it is. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In the New Testament, Jesus is, is called the second Adam. We'll get into that in a few weeks a bit more. But uh, the second Adam, right? And when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, three times in the wilderness, Jesus quotes scripture, and, and the Satan leaves him. He, go, he flees. Now, you're, you're not Jesus. But, but if your faith is in Jesus, you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God to strengthen you as it, as it reaffirms the truth of, of what God's demands and expectations are, as, as, it, as it reaffirms who God is, right? And, and it reaffirms how great God loves you and, and that He is indeed for you. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that because life didn't feel like that. It reminds us also, right, that His, his requirements and prohibitions are, are truly for your good, they're for your flourishing. They're, they're for your joy. In the words of Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That's where things went awry for, for Eve. Finally, to, to quote Kent Hughes, The bread of life is more powerful than the fruit of death. At the cross, Jesus shows us the true nature of God. Jesus went willingly to the tree, to the cross, to the tree, right? Not, not to take for himself like Adam and Eve, but to give of himself for you and me. But while Adam brought death from a tree, Jesus brings life. We'll end with this, right? The next time you feel like God is withholding the good stuff from you, it's a good passage to, to memorize if you struggle with that often or ever, right? You know, remember these words from Romans 8.32, and I'll just read these and we'll be done. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All the good things we need. Let's pray. Lord God, in, in Adam's fall, we all sinned. We, we know this in our hearts. We experience the sin-stained world every day. We, we long for you to put all things right, and we trust that you are already doing that. Lord God, Holy Spirit, give us ever more of your mercy. Give us life, and breath, and health, and strength, for we need your grace, and we are asking for it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.